0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. We're going to get the study sheets distributed here. While they're doing that, if you'd like, you can turn to Luke chapter 22. That's where we're going to start today. Luke chapter 22. So how many of you have been sick? Some of you have been sick lately? Yeah, it's, it's going around quite a bit, the nasty flu bug. I wasn't able to be here last Sunday. I, I certainly apologize. I worked 96 hours last week. And uh, very little of it was overtime. That's the bad thing. It's two jobs. I'd work all day on one job, come home, and have to go to work on the other job, and uh, it was quite a long week. By Saturday night, I could barely, I could, I could barely move. I was so tired and so exhausted. So I, 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 stayed and 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 slept all day Sunday. This week wasn't quite so bad. I only worked 60 hours this week, so that's 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 a typical week for me. So that wasn't too bad. But um, those of you who commute know that. A 96-hour work week includes about 12 hours of commute time. And uh, so in reality, it's 108 108 hours during the week. So there's only four or five hours a night there where you actually get to sleep. And uh, when I was 24, I could do that. I'm 60. I can't do that anymore. So uh, it's but it's okay. The Lord the Lord is gracious and he blesses. All right. We've been talking about being a servant of the living God and that's a term that's thrown about this this world today so loosely people say yes i'm a servant of the living god but the question is are we truly servants of the living god and and in order to answer that question we must look at the many many facets and attributes of being a servant of god so far we we've talked about seven of those attributes um i said uh, firstly that service uh, demands sacrifice and if we are to be considered a servant of God, then we must, we must make sacrifices in our life uh, to, to avail ourselves to be a servant of God. I said secondly that service leads to suffering and we need to prepare ourselves and understand. Jesus said, the world hates me and it will hate you. And, and while uh, perhaps the world doesn't hate us quite as fervently as they hated the Lord, still the world is not favorable to believers. Um, we said thirdly that service will result in selflessness. Uh, leading the life of a servant makes you uh, more willing to do for others and, 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 and helps you to consider the needs of others before you consider the needs of yourself. Uh, I said fourthly a servant of God is faithful and a servant is one who you can depend on. Someone who's always there when needs to be there, and 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 dedicates themselves to the to the service of Christ. I said uh, next that a servant of God is fearless, and we must not fear uh, this world. We must not fear the, the 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 consequences of of conducting our lives as faithful servants. We must be courageous and be willing to to do all that needs to be done. Next, I said a servant of God is fervent. And that means he's he's completely invested in his service and he's he's zealous about it. And uh, when people when people ask me, why do you go to church on Sunday? I tell them because of the love of Christ. Jesus loves me and I must demonstrate my love to him by my obedience to him and by my service to him. So we must be fervent. Uh, next, we said a servant of God maintains Fellowship. And uh, as servants of Christ, we avoid those things in our life that would separate us from fellowship with Christ. Paul said all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. And so we we make choices and we make decisions as servants of Christ that keep us in fellowship with the Lord and also that keep us in fellowship with one another. So those are the things we've discussed so far now today. I've got high hopes. I hope to get through 8, 9, 10, and 11 today. Now, those of you who have been in my classes know I rarely get to four points. But we're going to give it a shot here. We're going to do the best we can. So number eight on your study sheet is this. A servant of God is flexible. Flexible. Now, wait a minute. Before we go too far. Oh, before we go any further, let's pray. Because we haven't prayed yet. Our Father, thank you for... The grace that you give us and the mercy that you demonstrate, help us, Lord, today to be faithful servants and dedicated servants. Teach us from your word. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Before I go any further, I want want to I want to give you I want to quantify this statement when I say a servant is flexible. I know that the scriptures teach us that we are to be steadfast, unmovable that we are not to be blown about by every wind of doctrine. So I'm not talking about, when I say a servant of God is flexible, I'm not saying we're open to every interpretation of Scripture. Okay, That's not what I'm saying. Um, And I'm going to try to explain what I'm saying here in a moment. Luke chapter 22, verse 41 and 42, we read, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now, of course, the scene here is Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And the uh, the, um, the Pharisees are coming to arrest him. And as he prays in the garden, we see that he, he prays that the father might remove the cup of 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 that moment from him, but nevertheless, not as he wills, but as the father wills. Uh, these are the words of a servant who seeks to accomplish his master's will rather than his own now there are there are several different directions people take with this passage of scripture. Some people say that Jesus. Was praying that that there could be some other way for redemption to take place other than him having to go through the crucifixion. Uh, I don't share that opinion. I, I think Jesus was praying that there would not be uh, an event in the garden that would cause him to die before the cross. That's what I that's what I believe that that Jesus was praying. But that's my opinion. If you believe the other way, that's fine. I, I have I have no. Uh, no no argument with that whatsoever but Jesus came for the very purpose of dying on the cross so i can't believe that he would ask god not to not to let it happen but i believe he was praying for an that there would not be an untimely death in the garden uh, knowing peter's actions believe me the lord already knew what peter was going to do and knowing knowing the the reaction of Peter and his apostles, his disciples in the garden, I think Jesus, I think, I believe he was praying that the Father would take him through this moment and unto the moment he came for which he came, and and not, uh, but but Jesus pray, said, Father, it's whatever your will uh, is. He was not he was not resistant to the will of the Father. He was, if you will, he was flexible. He was willing to accept the father's will and do whatever needed to be done. Now, I want us to remember some things this morning. I work hard and I work hard to provide for my family. I, I work hard to provide for my wife uh, and, and, and try to leave a heritage to my children uh, and, and those things. And, and I'm, I'm all for hard work and, and I love To spend time with my family and every chance I get, uh, I do things with my family and, and, and I'm all for that. But I want, I want to remind us about something this morning. I want you to remember this. We are not here to accumulate material possessions. I think you should drive the best car that you can. I think you should live in the best, finest home you can afford. I think you should dress as well as you possibly can. you can look at me and tell that I think we should eat as well as we can and uh, as often as we can. But we're not here. We're not here to accumulate material possessions. Solomon talks about that, that another person is going to live in your house. Uh, another person is going to spend your wealth. It's not going to be you. You're not taking it with you. There's no U-Hauls are not connected to the back of hearths. Naked you came into this world and naked you're going out. From dust you came and to dust you will return. So we're not here for that. We should certainly try to live as comfortably as possible, but that's not our purpose. We are not here to amass authority or power. Some people live to be in control. They just their whole life is dedicated to being the person in charge and and, and to be the one that gets all the credit. But that's not why we're here. We're not here to acquire fame or or renown. Matter of fact, we're to to remain humble. We're to remain in the shadows and and allow the, the nature and character of Christ to shine forth. We're not to bring attention to ourselves. We're to bring attention to the person of Jesus every day and in all things that we do. So why are we here? We are here to serve the living God. That's why you are here. You might not agree with me, but that's why you are here. You are here to glorify God. And everything you do and everything you say. And everything you are, you are to glorify God. We are here to serve the living God. We are here to accomplish his will and not our own. God has a will for you. He has a will for your children. He has a will for our nation. He has a will for our church. It's not our will, it's his and we are here to accomplish that will. So we must remember that. It's so important that we, we have the right, the right priority in that. That, that God... Now, now, I'm not a, I'm not a fatalist, and, and I'm not saying just walk out the door and after something happens say, boy, Lord, I'm glad that's over with. Okay, I'm not talking about being that way, but I am talking about understanding and realize. That God is in control of everything I do. And He knows it. He already knows everything I will do. And He has already, He already has a will for all of that. But I am to focus my heart on serving and glorifying Him. The work of the local church can only be accomplished by the people of God the work within our church is going to be done by whom? That's right. By, by me, by you, by the pastor, by the deacons. The work of the church is done by the people of God. But not all of those people will earn their living through the church. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice of all of us Could earn everything, could get everything we need through the local church, money, food, clothes, all that. And all we did is come and serve the Lord. Wouldn't that be great? No, it wouldn't be. Because we'd get lazy. We'd be lazy. So that's not a, that's not a perfect scenario. No, the, but, but, but yet, even though you don't punch a clock here at the church, we're still the ones responsible for the doing the work of the church. And and it's you and I that have to accomplish this work. So this work is a work of sacrifice. It's a work of giving our time and our talents and our treasure to the Lord. Our service to the Lord should not revolve around our daily life, however. See, some people decide uh how, how much they're going to serve the Lord by 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 the by trying to fit the the service to God into their life. And for most of those people over the years, what I've noticed is they never accomplish much service because their life is, is in the way. Rather, our daily life should revolve around our service to the Lord. Do you understand what I mean by that? Our life should be fashioned so that we serve God first and foremost, and then we do the other things later. Yet today I I so often hear believers who put their own agenda first, who put their own their own wills before the Lord's. When you call upon them to serve, they well, I just don't have the time. I'm I'm too busy. To serve the Lord. Listen, if you're too busy to serve the Lord, then you're too busy. You need to shed some baggage. And you need to, you need to make time in your life. Uh, better yet, serve the Lord and then make time to, to live. But to serve the Lord first. Above everything else. We must take our example from Jesus in this. In John chapter 9, and verse 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. Jesus said, I must work. It's required. It's, it's, it's first and foremost. Teach, teach this to your children. That serving Christ comes before anything else. And teach this to your children by your example. You make Christ first in your life, and then they will see that, and they will follow. In John chapter 6, and verse 38, Jesus said, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. This was the attitude of the apostles in the early church. When they made statements such as we must serve God rather than men. These these apostles and these men in the early church put God first in their life, put Jesus first and foremost. And uh, Paul, look at Paul, Paul, as he as he traveled as a missionary, he traveled preaching. And as he had opportunity in those cities where he preached, what, what did Paul do to earn to earn money? Anybody tell me? He was a tent maker. Now, listen. In his day, everybody needed tents, so he'd come into a town. He'd go to the local tent making shop and say, "Hey, I'm a master tent maker. Can I can I work for you here?" But I want you to know now, I'm also a preacher, so I'm I'm, I'm not going to be able to work full time. You see, he didn't sacrifice. He didn't go to go to the city and set up shop as a tent maker. And every now and then. Uh, go preach a, a message somewhere. No, he was a preacher first and foremost. He served Christ first and foremost. So we take our example in Scripture from from the men in Scripture who who set the example. This is the attitude each of us need today. When you go to work and you're on your job, look for opportunities to serve the Lord. Look for opportunities to be a blessing to someone. We have a where I work we have a a dear, a dear lady whose husband has been diagnosed with cancer and he's very seriously ill. And they did surgery on him recently and she took a day off. And she came back the next day and she came over and she knows she knows my that I'm a Christian, she knows that I'm active in the church. She came over and sat by me and started crying and started talking to me. And I took that opportunity to to witness to her first, but also to share with her the love of God, and I told her. I said, I, I shared with her the story about my son when he was born with, with a, with a heart defect, and I told her I prayed. I prayed. I, my prayer was was that God would give me the grace and the strength to accept His will, to accept what He chose in this matter, and to continue to love and serve Him. And I shared that with her. She cried and I wept some with her. And then she, she looked at me and said, I feel so much better. And she went back to her office. And she's, she's, she's still struggling, but she's doing. But that was an opportunity. Listen, I was at work. I wasn't here in the church. But we served the Lord at work. Amen? You look for those opportunities. You have Christ in the front of your mind. And everything you do is to accomplish, to glorify him and to accomplish his will. So we, we serve him and, and we must be flexible. We must, we must choose to put aside our will in order to fulfill God's will. So that's what I mean when I say a servant of God is flexible. We shouldn't be wavering. We should be firm upon scripture and firm upon the doctrines of Christ. But we must be flexible in our own life. Flexible that we allow God to to change our will to his. So a servant of God is flexible. Number nine. A servant of God is focused. Now this kind of goes along a little bit with what I was just talking about. But a servant of God is focused. We're in Luke. Let's go to chapter nine. Luke chapter nine. And let's look at one verse, verse 51. Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we read here, And it came to pass, when the time was come, that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. This literally translates that he hardened his face toward Jerusalem and Jerusalem was what? Represented what? The cross, which was what? The will of the father. So Jesus steadfastly set his face to fulfill the will of God. He he In other words, he focused himself on accomplishing this will. He was determined with boldness, with courage, with constancy, and with firmness of mind. He didn't waver. He he wasn't fearful. Now, he had a human nature, or he had a human side. I should say Jesus had no human nature. But he had a human side, and that human side uh, was susceptible to pain and to torments, just as yours and mine. But he wasn't afraid to face the cross. He wasn't afraid to face the wrath of man upon himself. Nothing would deter him from this course of action. Throughout Bible history, we see great servants of God focused on their obedience to God. Uh, Noah, for instance. Noah preached For 12 years, right? Huh? Did he preach for 24 years? Did he remain focused and preach for 36 years? 120 years. I can't even imagine living 120 years. Let alone being faithful and focused and continuing to preach. And build an ark for when the rain comes, which no man had ever seen. For 120 years. I would say he was pretty well focused. Now, what about Moses? Moses stayed focused for 40 years. Wandering in the wilderness with God's people. And he was called the friend of God. By the way, the Bible tells us that Noah, all of this all of this obedience to God was accounted unto Noah as righteousness. What about Paul? Paul stayed focused throughout his missionary journeys, bringing the gospel, literally bringing the gospel to the known world, to every corner of the known world. And he could boldly say, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Now these, these are examples of men in scripture Who were focused on the the work of the Lord. Who were were servants of God. Who focused their hearts, their minds, and their bodies on accomplishing God's will. But what about you and me today? How focused are we? How determined are we? How dedicated are we? Now I'm I'm not standing here this morning... Doubting your your faithfulness or doubting your... I'm telling you, you ask yourself. Don't think about the person next to you. Don't think about the person across the room. Think about yourself. Ask yourself, how focused am I on serving God? How important is it to me? Every moment of every day. Can we stand before God... And proclaim that we have kept the faith? Are we truly focused on serving God? Or do we spend Monday through Friday focused on our bank account or uh, our, our obtaining that new possession? You know, you don't have to worry about your bank account, by the way. Think about the widow and Zarephath. Remember that story? How many of you remember the story of the widow? And Zarapath. she told, she told Elijah, Elijah, Elisha, uh, no, Elijah, I'm sorry, I'll get it straight. She told Elijah, she was gathering sticks and Elijah said, what are you doing? she said, I have one little cup of oil and one little handful of meal. I'm going to go home. I'm going to make a small cake. My son and I are going to eat that cake and then we're going to die. There was a famine in the land. That's a sad story. She, poor little old lady's out there and she's, gonna, she's gathering up enough stuff to make one more cake. And then she's going to eat that with her son and they're going to sit down and wait to die. And Elijah said, make me one first. You know what that represented right there, by the way? The will of God. That represented God's will. So she went home. And she made that cake. And she put it in front of Elijah and her and her son sat there and watched him eat it. And then he said, now go make one for you and your son. So she went. She grabbed that that little bag that her oil was in and she twisted it and twisted it and twisted it. And enough came out. She scraped the bottom of that barrel. She got enough flour out of that barrel. She made another cake. And her and her son ate that. And she continued to do that every day until the famine ended. Every day. Probably twice a day. You see, my friends, we don't need to fret and worry. Take no thought, Jesus said, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? For your heavenly father knoweth you have need of these things. Take no thought, Jesus said. But what do we do? We focus our hearts and minds and we devote our life toward the pursuit of those things. And God has already promised them to us. You know, when I was a child, I never I never worried about dinner. Because I knew mama and daddy would feed us. I never had fear or worry of, of were we gonna, was, was the house payment going to be made? Where we, was the car paid? I didn't have any fear or worry about any of those things. Why? Because I trusted my daddy. But somewhere along the line, we grew up and lost that trust, because now we're convinced that it's all about me. I have to do it. But it's really all about the father. And God has already promised to take care of us. Now, he doesn't want us to be lazy. And, of course, as I said earlier, I believe in hard work. a matter of fact, the scripture says if a man does not work, he should not what? should not eat. So, yeah, we, we have to work. We have to labor with our hands. That's, that's, that's a, a given. But Christ must be center. He must be the forefront Of everything we do. Are we truly focused on serving God? Or are we simply offering God. A little part of our life. By focusing on the things of this life. And forgetting about God from moment to moment. A servant is focused on his task of pleasing his master. He does not worry about the affairs of life. They will take care of themselves. He is dedicated to his master. So we must focus our hearts and minds on serving God. Serve him on your job. Serve him in your school. Serve him in your home. Serve him at all times. But then I move on. I don't think I'm getting through all four this morning, but I'm going to try to get through number three at least. Number ten, actually. A servant of God is forgiving. The servant of God is forgiving. Ephesians 4:32: "And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you." We hear a lot of talk about compassion, tolerance and forgiveness in this world today. But the truth is, this world is cruel. And violent. So many today get on the television and speak about mankind being made up of kind men and women. Did you see that? Any of you see that commercial? If mankind was made up of kind men and women. Well, where are they? Hmm? Where are they? The truth is, sometimes, as God's children... We will suffer great hatred in the service of God. Consider the world's reaction to Stephen. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 54, right after Stephen preached, we read, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They were so mad at what Stephen preached, They ran upon him, grabbed him, and started biting him. You imagine how mad you have to be at someone to bite them? You have to be pretty mad. But Stephen demonstrated the fruit of the Spirit by forgiveness. Even in that situation, he was forgiving. In verse 59, we read And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. Lord lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this. He fell asleep. I, I can't imagine that. But that's the heart of a servant of God. It's not a heart of pride. It's not a heart of selfishness. I've seen so many quit over the past 37 years because they were mistreated or underappreciated. But this type of reaction is evidence of a person seeking to promote themselves rather than accomplish the will of God. What did David say when Shimei was was walking along the hillside as David left Jerusalem and throwing stones at at David and, and shouting, Go up thou! Bloody man. Well, David, David's general said, you want me to go up there and cut off that dead dog's head? What did David say? Leave him alone. David said, maybe God sent him here to trouble me today. See, David had some sins in his life he hadn't dealt with. And David is saying, maybe this is the will of God. Just leave him alone. Now Solomon, David's son, many years later, got vengeance upon Shimei for his father's sake. But David never took action against, against Shimei because David forgave him. And how much we harbor bitterness in our life against people. Unjustly. Because we should forgive each other as Jesus forgave us. And that's all that needs to be said about that. So a servant of God, I'm I'm going to stop there. A servant of God, he... A servant of God is flexible. He's focused and he's forgiving, among among many other things. And we're going to continue this study uh, in two weeks. So thank you for being here this morning. And you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation